Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hi, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Britt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge. So if you're just checking uh, us out for the first time or uh, the last few times, we're just so honored that you would listen to our messages and kind of consider Sunridge as a church, whether you're just new to the area and you're considering, um, you know, you're trying to find a place of worship. We remember doing that years ago when we came here. Church shopping is brutal, we know, and we honor that with you. And um, But then also some of you might be watching and you're just kind of reconnecting with God or trying to explore faith or rediscover that faith. And so we're, we're really honored that you're giving us a few moments. Um, uh, then also, I just want to give a big shout out to all of our Sunridge peeps like I do every week. First of all, I want to say to you, thank you for giving us all your feedback on the survey about reoccupying the building. Your input's been really helpful, and we love that uh, so many of you have uh, volunteered to help us reopen. And you can expect uh, next week us to start talking about our phased-in strategy to reoccupy this space, providing all the numbers continue to go in the right direction. We have an elder meeting next week and uh, executive staff meeting. So again, you know, your input was super valuable for us kind of measuring where we are, not just by looking at uh, what's happening, but what your thoughts are as well. And as I've been doing recently, I just want to give a shout out to all the Sunridge people who, for whatever reason, you're waiting on your vaccine or, you know, you have uh, people in your life that are vulnerable, or maybe you are as well. Um, that you, you haven't been able to join us for our one big service outside. Uh, we just want you to know that we miss you guys. And specifically, I've been trying to call out one person or a couple each week. And I just want to say hello to Marie. Those of you that don't know Marie, if I was sitting in normal church and looking out, she sits toward the back to the right. She's a widow. She lost her husband a few years ago to cancer, and yet she's so faithful. And Marie calls me every few months. Thank you, Marie, for doing that. Just to encourage me to tell me that she's praying for me and for Sunridge. And she says, I just want you to hear my voice and, know, and let you know that I, I'm thinking about you. So Marie, we miss you. We're really looking forward to being back together with people like you. Uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're just going to drop right into our scripture today. Uh, we're nearing the end of this series. And so today we are in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. I'll read that and it'll be up on the screen as well. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree 
cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Continuing verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Two sections uh, at the close of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about deception. And that potential to be deceived is truly a scary proposition for any of us who take our faith seriously. Most of us at some time in our life have been deceived in one way or another. It could be in an innocuous way. You remember that 40th surprise birthday party where your whole family lied to you and they got away with it. Or even the next new invention that appeared on late night TV or in your social media feed that really didn't work, at, you know, even though you bought it. And yet other deception can be much more gut-wrenching and consequential. Often when we've placed our trust in a person or an organization, we can be betrayed by that person who that you thought was your friend. An investor, an investment broker worked out a Ponzi scheme upon you. Maybe you were part of a cult and you followed this religious person or group for quite some time until you realized that you were being deceived. Some of you are listening to this message or watching, you've had a cheater in your marriage. And even some of you, sad to say, have been abused sexually or emotionally by even religious leaders. And any of these forms of deception can be devastating. Deception is believing the untrue. That's the common denominator in all of these. And, you know, there are just people in the world, as we will see, that are deceivers and they do it on purpose and they are aware. They are the deceivers. But then there are also people who are susceptible to that deception. They are the deceived. Now, earlier in Jesus's sermon, especially during the antitheses, the six things that Jesus talked about where he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus has already laid out how important the truth is when he says, let your yea be yea or your yes, yes, and your no, no. And there Jesus is highlighting how important truthfulness and honesty and integrity and being able to believe in people or organizations or systems, how important that is for human beings to be able to flourish. And as we started to mention last week, we are in the wrap-up of the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, I want to give a big shout out to Jed for taking my notes from the recorded version and teaching them on Sunday. Thank you, Jed, for doing that and allowing me to be a part of uh, my best friend, uh, memorial back east. But it, as, it, as Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he gives three pairs of dual choices. Last week, we talked about the two paths that we can choose. And next week, we'll, we'll look at two builders. But today, we're talking about two deceptions, two choices of who to follow. 
And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has laid out his teaching, contrasting it with what people were mostly being taught by the religious leaders at that time. And yet when he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's not bringing a new teaching in the sense that he is contradicting Torah or the law that they, that they followed or the values, the, the Old Testament as we know it. But in, he's simply recalibrating the original. And in his back to the future ethic, Jesus, as all good preachers do, ends with a call to response. That is, Jesus is seeking transformation. And here he's saying, choose who you will listen to. And he describes our options as true or false prophets. And this is super important because surprisingly, there is a choice every generation and every person is confronted with. There's never been a generation where there isn't false prophets and true prophets. And that confrontation that Jesus is bringing, that choice, that kind of fork in the road, isn't just a confrontation with pagan culture, but also with the religious culture of Jesus's day. And we are no different. Let's pray before we jump into that. God, right now, we submit ourselves to the teachings of Jesus and we ask your Holy Spirit to be present among us, whether online or on a podcast or as we gather on Sunday, that your spirit would speak to us and reveal things to us that without his guidance and without the words of Jesus, we would be unable to recognize and we commit ourselves to following you and what you show us. Enable us to submit ourselves humbly to what you have to say here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we jump into the passage, specifically a few thoughts about deception in general. This is in your notes. Number one, throughout the Bible, there are abundant warnings about deception. If you just begin with the Torah, the very first law, Deuteronomy 13.1, says, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Here the Torah says that even if a miracle occurs, even if this person has an amazing dream, but they lead you away from the true God, do not listen to them from the very first part of Torah. And then you look at Jesus's disciples, both Peter and John in the first century church, Peter, 2 Peter 2, 1. There are also, there were also false, false prophets among the people that is in Israel's day, just as there will be false teachers among you. And then John in 1 John 4, 1 says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And what you'll see if you take kind of a bird's eye view of the scripture is that from the very first of creation, when the serpent comes to the first humans, Adam and Eve, and questions, did God really say all the way to the end and the judgment in Revelation 20:10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been known. You see deception throughout 
human history. So when we talk about our capacity or potential to be deceived, this is not a one-off that Jesus is talking about. It's not just a thing that he's, uh, uh, that's just like isolated. This is a major theme of scripture. Because, and this is point two, deception is a core strategy of the evil one. Because of that, it just seems to be part of the human story. It's likely we've all experienced deception. And it's also likely that we've been a deceiver ourselves at one time or another. Just how prevalent deception is to the human experience is noted by Scott McKnight in his sermon on, in his commentary in the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, as you've learned as we've gone through this series, no sermon is complete without my reference to what has become my favorite commentary on uh, the Sermon on the Mount by Scott McKnight. Here it is. The serpent dishonestly reframed the words of God in the Garden of Eden. And Adam didn't tell the whole truth to God, Genesis 3. Abraham lied about Sarah going on into Genesis. Jacob tricked Esau with twisted words, but was tricked in return. The brothers of Joseph lied to their father about Joseph, and it goes on and sadly on. Does anybody need more convincing about the core strategy of the evil one and the prevalence of deception today? But also, Jesus, this is number three in your notes, Jesus warned about Deception. Now, later in Matthew's gospel, we're going to look at that first chapter 24, verse 11. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. But then he goes on in that same chapter, verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, and if possible, even the elect. And of course, here in Matthew 7, where we are, Beginning in verse 15, the start of this section, Jesus says to watch out for false prophets. This phrase, watch out, is the same word as he used in Matthew 6, 1, when he said, be careful not to do your righteous acts in order to be seen. Now we know that some watch outs are more important than others, right? Like if you came into my home and I said, hey, watch out for that step. Versus you came into my house and I said, watch out. The kid's pet rattlesnake got out the other day and we haven't been able to find them. One, one would be a more elevated watch out for you, right? And so here, what, what level does it reach when Jesus says, watch out? This is not a casual alertness that Jesus is calling us to. Another thought about deception in general, the language of scripture, and this is going to tie into where we're going today, when it describes the source of deception is false prophet. That is the language often of the scripture. And, you know, you've probably, you know, depends on how long you've been in church, but like you hear that word prophet and it conjures up certain ideas. For many of us, we picture these wild-eyed, crazy-haired, rogue announcers of doom, but actually some were very sophisticated like Isaiah that interacted with kings. So they, they came in all shapes and sizes, but their role, no matter what they looked like or acted like, was not limited to the religious teaching that would be done or debating the latest teaching at their local temple. The role of prophet in history was to speak truth to the day. 
to speak truth to the day. You see, at that time, there are three voices, or three major leaders in Israel's societal structure that contribute to truth or to the health and flourishing of their community. Number one, the king represented God over the people. The priest was the one that people related to God or spoke to God through. And then there was the prophet through whom God spoke to his people. And these prophets in all shapes and sizes, I said, were the voice and conscience of the day. So they weren't just religious or scripture scholars. They also were up and addressed the political, cultural, and societal issues that they were facing. They spoke out about injustice. They called out evil kings and unjust government syst- governmental systems or laws. And they guided broken people back to, holy, to wholeness. They gave input on wars, whether to go to war or not, and when to go to war or when to retreat, and how human beings could thrive. They confronted societal leaders, evil and good, when they lost their way. Prophets were the moral conscience of their time. And they often inspired and encouraged people through the tragedies that they faced, the current issues, the national and local things that happened, the prophets spoke into these things and they reinforced the good and attempted to influence people to follow that good and to follow God. And of course, in the role of a prophet, they often had to call people back to God and the value system that they advocated for or that they even thought that they believed the Torah. That's what a true prophet did. But a false prophet did just the opposite. A false prophet backed evil and corrupt kings. And they often promoted rather than confronted the accepted societal values of their day and corrupt leaders. They often reinforced what isn't true or what wasn't true. And they gave immoral and bad advice. See, a false prophet led people astray often by convincing them to believe the untrue. Now, we don't use that word prophet that much today. I mean, when's the last time that you used it? But we have these same voices in our world today. And with globalization and publishing and the internet and the TV, they don't come in the same package, but they are the prophetic voices just the same of our day. And if you look in deeper into the role of a prophet, you can see that The prophet is much more than just our Sunday school picture or that image and flannel graph that we used to put up. And now goes far beyond the Old Testament image, far beyond the local pastor or Bible teacher or even a seminary professor. The prophets and guides of today are indeed pastors, but also, and possibly even to a greater degree, they are authors philosophers, podcasters, bloggers, cable news, pundits, politicians, and therapists. Now, on one hand, that's good news, and it's also bad news. It's good because we have a lot more voices and a lot more information. And it's bad because we have a lot more voices and a lot more information. So how do we discern? 
See, prophets, whether true or false, are the ones speaking into our culture today. And they guide us in interpreting our times. And the truth is, sometimes these voices hold more sway than our local pastors or religious leaders of our time. And they are either speaking truth to today, to the day, or they are promoting the untrue. The prophets of our time are either reinforcing the way of Jesus or not. They are either leading people to a place of flourishing or destruction. They are either true or false prophets. Now, there are two sides to deception. We referred to this early on from both without and from within. That's where deception comes from. And a little hint here, in the end, it all comes from within, as you will see. You see, there are those who know that they are deceiving. And we'll see Jesus say this. And then there are those that do not know that they're being deceived. In describing those differences, Jesus uses imagery. Of the first, he uses both predator and prey. And in the second, he uses a scene from the judgment. Number one, there are the deceivers. The deceivers, Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for these deceivers, these false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Jesus says that these are wolves that look like sheep. Now a sheep at that time and this time today have, has little to no defense. I mean, when's the last time you read a headline that said sheep goes wild in the forest and kills campers, but a wolf both then and today is smart They're patient and they look for the vulnerable. And Jesus here is saying that all of us are vulnerable to predators. And it's not the wolf that looks like a wolf, Jesus says, that is the most dangerous. It's the wolf that looks like a harmless sheep. See, deceivers look good a lot of the time. They say things that are true. That's what makes them so dangerous. Remember, a a broken clock is right twice a day. We look for someone that we would put in the deceiver category to be wrong all the time and to be all about deception, but that would not be effective at all. Think about it. Jesus is saying the opposite of what we think a deceiver is. He's saying that deceivers are extremely dangerous and can be difficult to identify. You see, they're disguised. They look like a sheep. Why why do they disguise themselves? Peter says in 2 Peter 2.2, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In verse 3, in their greed... These teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Why does the false teacher or the wolf or the false prophet fabricate stories? 
Peter says it's because they have something to gain. It is their greed that motivates them. And so they exploit people in order to fulfill their greed. See, a wolf intentionally deceives. For what purpose? For their gain. To eat you. You have something they need. You. What do they gain? What does a spiritual wolf gain? Power? Money? Viewers? Followers? Votes? Praise? Crowds? And they devour us for it. So the next time you're really, really, really into something that this person or this source is telling you, ask yourself, what do they have to gain in this relationship? Especially if that is, it has an opposite voice, a conflicting voice. What are they gaining in this relationship? Often the person who is telling us the real truth is actually risking losing something, not gaining. And that was certainly true of the prophets in the days of early Israel. The cancel culture that we're living in today has exacerbated this. A friend comes to you and says, you're drinking too much, but you have other buddies that blow it off. And so that person who took that risk out of concern, it's pretty easy to blow them off, isn't it? And to follow your group of buddies who just kind of want to keep going. We get a diagnosis from our doctor. And of course, there's always second opinion and third opinion. But sometimes we don't like what that doctor's telling us about our habits and things that we could be doing to contribute to our dishealth. And so we find a doctor who tells us what we want to hear. We're all susceptible to social media and cable news to find the ones that tell us what we want to hear. And often, you know, in this day and time, if a pastor steps on our toes by pointing to Jesus or disrupts our life in any way, isn't it pretty easy to just go, you know, I'm going to find another pastor. In each of these cases, the truthful person is risking something with us. And they have little to gain by saying the hard things other than our own ability to flourish. Deceivers deceive intentionally and they know they're doing it and they disguise themselves in order to gain from us. Second category of deception are the deceived. And here Jesus uses an image of the judgment. And these people are standing before Jesus himself in verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. 
And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Now there's a debate as we look at this text as to whether these people that are standing before Jesus in this story are truly self-deceived or are they still trying to manipulate the system and Jesus down to the last moment? So let's just give them the benefit of the doubt here and just take them at their word. What evidence are they giving to Jesus as they stand before him as to their authenticity and their faith? They say, I'm gifted. I'm miraculously gifted. I've done a lot of really good things because of that. I'm also eloquent and well-spoken. And because of that, I have a ton of followers. There are many in this crowd. They are convincing. So how can I not be in? I have all of these qualifications. By the way, these are still very validating in our world today. Gifts and the ability to be charismatic with people, doing things that are perceived as good by the culture at that time, to be eloquent, and to have a lot of people as part of your entourage. See, when it comes to deception, there's a really bad combination, a perfect storm. There are deceivers, and we seem to be susceptible to our own deceit. We are often self-deceived. And because of that, I think that we can overfocus on the idea of a false prophet without fully considering our own propensity to follow them. We are vulnerable to deceivers because we want to hear what we want to hear. In essence, we want to be deceived and we don't care. That's what Paul tells Timothy in his second letter to Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, this is both a frightening but a great picture. Itchy ears. When your ear itches, is there, is there, there are few pleasurable moments like having that Q-tip and being able to put it in your ear and scratch the inside of your ear. I keep Q-tips in my truck with me. For after surfing, because when I surf, my ears are filled with water and they itch. And that just feels so good to tip my head down and put that Q-tip in. Man, you've heard of the social dilemma. If you haven't watched that, I would encourage you to do it. And in it, they talk about the algorithm. The algorithm that social media sites and different um, websites use in like reading what we want. Those are itchy ears, what we want. And so then we see here, Paul knew about the algorithm long before the internet was ever invented. 
You see, we already have an algorithm in our brains and it's not rational. It's emotional. It is what the algorithm is built on and it's why it works because it feels good to be reinforced. Endorphins are released. It's pleasurable. And this is why confirmation bias is so much of how we process the information that comes to us. It causes us often to be misinformed theologically, philosophically, culturally. Deceivers deceive us by telling us what we want to hear. Yes, and they often have something to gain by it. But actually, we are wired to believe them often because we seek them out as the people to follow simply because they will tell us what feels most good to us. We have itching ears, which is why, as Jesus said, we must watch out. Watch out for false prophets. So, okay, that's helpful. But how do we know the difference, right? And this is what I love about Jesus. His point here isn't to freak us out and to make us cynical or suspicious of everyone, but to be wise and alert because every rattle is not a rattlesnake. And Jesus doesn't here just give us the list of all the people that are the false prophets, those people that he's talking about. Of course, he blasts the Pharisees later, but instead he gives us something that stands the test of time. Because the truth is, false prophets come in all shapes and sizes. False prophets look like pastors or podcasters, sometimes social media, cable news. They come in red and blue versions, conservative and liberal, therapists and friends. They are not easily recognizable, but it can be done. And that's why John wrote that we should test the spirits. And so Jesus here, rather than giving us a list of all the bad people, rather than instead of just making us cynical and, and throwing up our arms and saying we can't believe anything, Jesus gives us two deception tests. Number one, the fruit test. In verse 16 of Matthew 7, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. You're getting the message here, right? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And so you see here, Jesus gives them an agricultural illustration, which is a really simple truth. A tree is evaluated based on what it produces. Thorns and thistles are the invasive species of this day. And farmers had to constantly deal with those. But what they were after was the fruit. And you could easily tell the difference between the false and the true, the fruitful and the unfruitful by its fruit. So what is fruit? Well, taking this whole section as a whole, it's not eloquence. It's not giftedness. It's not the number of followers. It's none of that. 
It's not even what they say completely. It's fruit, Jesus says. You know, these are the exact words that are used by the Apostle Paul. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, that is where the Spirit is, whether in person or in a church or in an organization or a family. The fruit of that Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the proof in the pudding. And again, here, Jesus has every opportunity to say, well, they're just right every time about every doctrine. Can I tell you something? Nobody's right all the time. Jesus instead asks this question and invites us to look at the voices in our life through this lens. What do they do? This is the life test. Look at their life. Does it look anything like Jesus? Who of course would be identified by the same fruit that Paul mentions, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I just heard someone recently say, look at your social media posts and find the fruit of the Spirit in it. Ouch. That one stung a little. One of our home group leaders recently on his social media post, don't worry, I'm not going to blow somebody up here. Um, he wrote this. This is Cal Samuels. I call him rabbi. A person's ultimate worth is not measured by their list of accomplishments, but rather by their attributes. Not by their credentials, but by their character. Not by their resources, but by their respect. Not by their degrees, but by their discretion. Not by their genius, but by their generosity. Not by their fame, but by their faith. Not by the measure of how much they leave, but by the measure of how much they love. Everybody give it a shout. Give a shout out to Cal Samuels, the rabbi. Jesus here says, what do they do? And I would add, what do they do to you? This is why what they do is so, so important because their fruit becomes our fruit. Because they are our prophet or prophets, they are our guides to life. That affects how we process information, the information that we accept, the ideologies that we, that we hold or the values. And so here, it's not just that we could get a doctrine wrong, but we could get life wrong. We become, we become who we are because of the prophets in our lives, because of the voices that we listen to. Are those we follow leading us to be like Jesus? To do what Jesus did. And when we observe them, are they bearing the fruit of the Spirit? And if whether they are or they aren't, what are they producing in us? That's the fruit test. 
The second test is the relationship test. And that's in verse 23. In this second picture that Jesus gives at the judgment, he says, I tell them plainly, I never knew you, <coughs> excuse me, away from me, you evildoers. You know, we talk about knowing Jesus, but Jesus flips that concept here to does, does he know you? And this word that he use, uses um, is describing knowing as in a relationship, not just you know them like, hey, you know, I can recognize them, but you actually know each other. And these self-deceived prophets that stand before Jesus claim intimacy with him, but Jesus is saying, no, I don't know you. You've probably had someone in your life who kind of feigns intimacy with you. And here Jesus is saying to people that are saying, hey, you know, we're, we're tight. He's saying, I don't recognize you. I don't know you. We have no relationship. I'm not your bro. Now think about who he's talking to. The people standing before him did things. Miraculous things by their testimony, showing things. They had the wow factor. They were famous and people obviously had listened to them and reinforced what they were doing. Jesus doesn't dispute any of that. And some, you know, you could read this and it could create all kinds of anxiety in us and, and cause us to doubt the work of Christ in our own lives. Oh my goodness, if people who can do all these things could be disingenuous, they could be fake or false prophets. I could be so easily deceived as well. I think that's a question for us to consider, but not a fear. Because Jesus tells us how we can tell. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. You want to know who Jesus knows? Then ask yourself, the next time you hear them say something or advocate something or hold a value, does that sound like something Jesus would say? Does that, can I find a place where Jesus said or did similarly, even down to his approach? I wonder how many people are so deceived because Jesus is not even a factor. Religion is and morality is, but Jesus really isn't the core. So then, as we think about deceivers and our own propensity to be self-deceived, we're left with a decision, aren't we? And that's what Jesus is doing in the close of this message. We are his followers, but so much can get in the way of that any voice or any person who does not lead us to follow Jesus, to sit at his feet, to become like him or do the works that he did in this context is a false prophet. They're a counterfeit. So turn them off. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. For Jesus, the simple act of doing his Father's will 
are more indicative than a miraculous or charismatic or event or being entertaining or how bold we are or how loud we are. What Jesus is getting to at this is that leaders are, first of all, followers of Jesus before there are leaders in the Jesus way. Can we be honest here? It has become so difficult in our day and time to find our way, hasn't it? To discern truth. In fact, even among Christians, we're, we're arguing and fighting about what is or isn't true. And it has made so many people afraid. So many people feel lost. They, some have gotten cynical and, and given up. And others are just angry all the time. With all the voices in our world today and all the ways for them to speak to us, whether through a friendship or online or on TV or through cable, with all of those voices in our heads today, who are the true prophets, not the false ones? How about we just take Jesus' advice here and we do this simple thing. Number one, turn everyone and everything off that you see is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives or creating it in you. And number two, get back to Jesus. Read the Gospels. Review the Sermon on the Mount. If you just dropped, dropped in with us, go back and listen to our messages on this. Memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Soak in these quintessential foundational, fundamental words of Jesus. And instead of fretting or getting cynical or blowing people up, let's do his works. For those of you that are searching, I want to assure you that the real Jesus can be found. And I admit, you know, so many of us have lost our way. And so much of what we see on TV, in the media, does not look like Jesus. And truthfully, if you followed me around every day, I wouldn't look like Jesus every day. But if you're, if you're trying to explore faith or try to find out about what, who is the real Jesus, then read the Sermon on the Mount. And get together with someone you know is a Christian. Ask them. To do it, I want to do this with you and get together and talk about it. And when you do, it will reveal to you who Jesus Christ is. Whatever your story is, whether you're starting uh, from scratch right now or you've been a Christian for a length of time, this is the choice that God is putting before us. Jesus lays it out right in front of us after his teachings. And he asks us or invites us to consider whose voice we will listen to. That's my message today. Um, next week, we'll wrap up this entire series. And I'm kind of sad to see it go, actually. Um, but I hope that what we talked about today has helped you, whether you're, again, whether you're just exploring faith or you're really trying to get rooted and grounded 
and follow the right voices as a believer today. I hope that what we talked about has helped you. God bless you. Hopefully we'll see you soon in our one big service. Take care. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.